Hi, welcome to Clean Slate, where each and every day is a clean slate. I am Vicki Strine. And I am Joanna Dean. We hope that this is a place where you find motivation towards a lifestyle of clean living with your mind, body, and spirit. Sharing stories of inspiration, hope, and encouragement. Disclaimer, we also plan to share our personal stories and have guests share theirs. We come from a place of authenticity, and with that, some topics may be controversial to some. And we want people to know that real people have children that are injured. We want people to know that real people have suffered from this present vaccine, and this is what's happening to them, and we want them to have help. Most of them are not getting help. Thank goodness for the FLCCC. You know, they have an iRecover protocol right now that everybody should, if they think they're having problems post-vaccination or post-COVID and they think they have long-haul syndrome, they should be looking at the FLCCC's iRecover protocol because it le- it's not proven yet, but le- at least they're using their clinical knowledge to say, oh, these people have severe inflammation. Let's give them some things that help with inflammation. These people are having um, respiratory, whatever. Let's give them some things that help with respiratory. So that is what I respect about these doctors. That's what's, that's what's worth respecting is that they seem to be bringing something to the table to help us. If they find out later that this didn't work and this worked better, okay, at least they tried. But they aren't telling their patients just to sit home and, and um, whatever comes may, what may. So what, um, let's say you were one of the ones that got the um, vaccine. Uh, would you have immediate um, uh, reaction or is it possible now that, oh, I got the vaccine six months ago and I haven't had any problems, I'm fine, or is everybody different? It just, well, you first could, of all, everybody is different. Everybody has a different fingerprint. Everybody has a completely different body system. Everybody has different genetics coming at them. Um, the CDC even says that children who are immune compromised or have a family member that's immune compromised, they shouldn't be getting any of the live vaccines, which are MMR and chickenpox. When did anybody tell you that? You Never. Know, nobody ever told you that. But because I have an immune compromised child who did get live vaccines and did get harmed by them, I now know that that's actually out there documented. So the, um, the vaccines that were released in December 2020, this is what is inside of my vaccine document that people can read and be informed about. The, tr- the vaccine trials are continuing until October 2023. They are not over. You're in it right now. You are a trial subject. Did you sign a document saying that you were willing to be a trial subject and when you did sign a document hopefully that you were a trial subject because if you've had a vaccine right now you're a trial subject so you should have been signed something that let you know that you were you compensated were you followed up with did did the cdc call you and check on any symptoms or anything that happened there's no evidence that anybody who is in this trial which they all are until october 2023 that they're being actually watched or monitored. Who, who's monitoring them? Dr. Peter McCullough has said there should have been re- regular reports. That, what is the status of the nation? What is the status reports of each of these medications? Like if remdesivir is what is the only approved medicine for COVID in, your, in hospitalization, what is the report and the status? Let's hear a full report. Those reports are not coming out. So you're asking me if you got it, 
when would you most likely have complications? Well, according to what the studies are showing, within the first seven days to um, 14, seven to 14 days is the most common severe reactions. That the most noticeable reactions that involve death, myocarditis, and severe medical complications like Guillain-Barre syndrome and um, movement disorders, uh, kinesias is what they're called. People are having all kinds of um, twitches, nervous twitches, Bell's palsy, paralysis of their face, slurred speech, aphasia, um, stroke-like behavior that um, is like if anybody's ever seen what a stroke patient acts like, they might suddenly, you know, start not talking right. Their words aren't matching. Their communication's not matching. You may have seen um, videos that are all censored um, of even public people speaking publicly, and all of a sudden they can't speak. We've seen videos of um, athletes dropping dead on the on the fields. We see um, reports of kids that are ending up with heart attacks and stories of their severe cardiac issues. So those are um, the kids that are getting the myocarditis. Apparently, exercise is absolutely no. So people who've had it, most people, like let's say a middle-aged person, maybe is, if they're a runner, they could have been dead. Right. Well, I actually had developed myocarditis within 24 hours of getting the vaccine. So... I ended up going through cardiac rehab. They wanted me to do it for three months where they could monitor my heart. And I'm still on medication for that. And we're a year, just over a year past that date. Technically, anybody with myocarditis, is their heart is never the same again. It is a damaged heart that does not repair. Right. That, that doesn't repair. All they can do is help you help you with therapy to overcome some of the issues that are associated to that disease. To minimize it is an absolute um, denial of any past history that we've known about this condition. And apparently it is a, um, there's some news out there that shows that the all-cause mortality rate that's happening right now in the country. So prior to 2020, I never had a conversation with anybody about all-cause mortality. It's not, I, I, I like statistics, but I didn't um, pay attention to that kind of thing. We would hear stats like how many people die every year of smoking, how many car wreck deaths are there, how many suicides are there, et cetera. So all-cause mortality is everything you could potentially die of. And there's a certain number of people who die every year. And it falls within a range. And somewhere in 2020, that conversation started happening with groups I was involved with. And the subject was that the average all-cause mortality was like 2.4 million to 2.9 million die every year in our country. Okay, that's a lot of people that die. And the question is, is what was the all-cause mortality rate of 2020? Because we were asking this question in December when the last numbers would be coming in. And at the time that we had it reported, that it was being reported, it was at 2.3 or 4. It was December of 2020 at the end of the counting time. And if that was accurate, if 2.3 or 4 was the amount of people dead that year, then that means nothing about that year changed numerically. It was still even under the high side of normal, 2.9. It was even 2.9. So that was the first thing that got my attention about just watching all-cause mortality. Well, here we are now two years later, and the conversation is that a, a German insurance agency has exposed that they are having masses of numbers of vaccine injury cases show up in their system and it's not counting, something's counting wrong. So what Dr. McCullough was recently discussing on his podcast was 
I can't remember who he had on there that was making this public, and it wasn't about the German person. It was just about our death rate here. That apparently the numbers of death by heart attack, death by stroke, death by coagulopathies, um, blood clotting disorders, um, mostly neurological and cardiovascular, neurological and cardiovascular deaths is apparently up a phenomenal amount. So those numbers in your average hospital that wants to gaslight you and make you believe that the reason you're coming in here to the emergency room with severe chest pain and you've never had a chest pain is just because you were just suddenly going to have a heart attack and you never were. You were just prone to it and probably is in your family history or whatever that's gaslighting you. But you just happened to have a vaccine 24 hours before. It couldn't possibly be related to that. So it's not getting documented, but the all-cause death rate is changing and there is some talk that the uh, morgues are seeing something different, that there's something happening within the um, mortuary, pe- the people who are doing embalming. So when are we going to see all that? When is, when is it going to be just like French, instead of French people telling us this and we're hearing interviews of this, when are we going to hear that somebody is saying we want all the reports from all the morgues all over the country? We want reports from all of the cardiologists from all over the country. What are you seeing an increase in? Because I know as a cardiac patient myself that my cardiologist was scared to death to see me after COVID. Didn't want to see me during, didn't want to see me after. I had to do Zoom calls. I couldn't have be touched or anything like that. And I was months past my virus because that person was so afraid of still being around patients. You know, he, he himself was afraid of it, about being around patients. I've never had so many cardiac labs and cardiac tests done on me. And I was asking for every single one of them. And I didn't even know what to ask for in 2020. Now, I know what to ask for now. And I would want people to make sure they're asking for the right labs as well. And right studies and right scans and things like that. But I didn't get those done on me. So I'll never know what was causing severe chest pain for me at that time. Was it pericarditis? Was it myocarditis? Is that the reason why I struggle with um, shortness of breath when I'm still doing any kind of overexertional stuff? There's nobody trying to figure it out. Nobody's following up with me. Nobody's worried. All these numbers or these people and theirs, has anyone ever followed up with any of those? I mean, how does... Yeah, there is a system, and I'm trying to think what the name of it is, um, um, if you go to openvares, I think it's just called openvaers.com. Those are all the verified numbers. That means that the CDC has already looked at those. They've already been given a verified number, and they've already been proven to be actual deaths. So those deaths, if you, if anybody looks at openvares right now, whatever you see, it's over 20,000. Those are verified. These are not – people want to say – Oh, anybody can make a report to VAERS. Well, let me tell you what, it's a federal crime if you make a false report to VAERS. Imprisonment is what you face if you make a false report to VAERS. Can mama write a report for her um, child that she thinks is injured? Yes, she can. But guess what? Somebody owes her a follow-up to find out and verify if that is an actual vaccine injury-related case. And once it goes to the next level, which I think is um, the open VAERS is the one where those numbers go, but there's another name that's three letters that I can't remember right now. V-SAFE. I think it may be called V-SAFE. It is the one that are all verified. That means these are not just reports that are speculated. For example, you may have filed it for your child, that your doctor may have filed it for your child, and maybe the pediatrician filed it for the child. Like three, three people may have filed the same report. This, the system is meant to find out, oh, this is all the same child. This is one case. 
those are the odd things. But more likely than not, only one person has, well, more likely than not, nobody's filed it. The second case is, if you're lucky, one person filed it, okay? And uh, according to Dr. Peter McCullough, it takes quite a bit of time. Like, it takes a doctor a good hour or more to work through putting a good report in. And I assure you, you know, they don't have time for that. You know, anybody who goes to the doctor enough knows you better have your questions ready because you're going to get them in quick. Tell them why you're here because they only have about seven minutes after you finish telling them. And you better not take too long or you're down to two minutes (laughs) and they're out of there. So doctors are overdone. And um, they have a family, too. They still have a a life after they leave home. So how committed are they to making sure they put their name on a report and are the doctor that's going to get flagged for writing a vaccine injury? Because nobody wants to believe that a vaccine can injure anybody. The definition of a vaccine was even changed for this vaccine. So it's like they know that. So um, I don't understand why I call them brave doctors because I do feel like we have a um, epidemic of whatever the opposite of brave is. That is, we have an epidemic of that right now. And um, I don't understand why that is, except there are dead doctors. There are dead people who have come out and bad things have happened to them or their careers have been adversely affected. Is that conspiracy? Is it related? I, I don't know. You know, I've been threatened. I'm just a little pee on nobody. I've been threatened. And, um, you know, I'm I'm not choosing to live in fear, but I don't also disclose all my facts about who I am either. You you brought up fear. Mm -hmm. I have never seen fear so rampant throughout our culture, our society. Um, This virus was such a huge psychops. Yeah. It, 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 um, and so much more happened during it, too. It's like while we're on lockdown, the Rodney, it wasn't Rodney King, um, the riots, the riots over BLM happened. So while we're all glued to our, our TVs, TVs right. already this watching is- it, we get to watch cities being burned all over our country. And supposedly we're in a COVID lockdown and it's supposed to be social distancing and all this. And yet mobs of people are in the streets and rioting over a sense of justice. Okay, so that's happened, and there does seem to be a lot of information being shoved into our news about the rights of sexual genders and, and teaching our kids about uh, sexuality in schools, CRT, and all. And so either critical race theory, I'm like, why is this in the front of our news? Why are we having these conversations right now? Why is everybody wearing masks? Can we talk about that? You know, we're, we, aren't we in a pandemic? Isn't the world worried about the pandemic? And we're worried about what they're teaching in schools right now. Can we just get the kids in school? You know, can they just go to class and not have to wear a mask? Speaking of masks, being a medical professional, um, do those work? Okay, so brownstoneinstitute.org is where I want everybody to go to find the truth of that answer. There you're going to find 150 studies that say they don't. Well, I, I just, I mean, I think it was Alyssa Milano who had crocheted her mask and they were gigantic holes the size of 50 cent pieces. I'm like, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, so um, I think any of us that are paying attention to the boxes you can buy at the store, the paper blue ones that are, you know, the medical masks they're called, 
Um, on the side of it, it says exactly what it can't do. It tells you what it cannot do. Um, so as far as masks go, um, we have, we, I, I said to my kids who are all young adults, I only have one that's young, that's 14, that I would prefer that you never wear a mask anywhere you go and that if you walk into a store that says masks required, that you tell them that you're choosing to not give them any business because of that mandate and that you are going to go somewhere else that doesn't have that kind of mandate on them and that we want to make sure they know why you're not going to give them business. So that sounds a very anti-medical professional to say something like that. But when I ne- when all these studies have been coming out throughout the entire pandemic trying to um, show us that it looks like the ineffectiveness of them, why was I going to make my kids look compliant, Look, co- tell them that the, the goal was to look compliant with a, something that they knew wasn't going to benefit them? So when we as medical professionals use them in the hospital, if I'm in a surgery, I'm going to have it on my mouth so that if I sneeze, cough, drip, snot, or have anything come out of my body, it's not going to go into your body that's open below me. If you have a very high contagion and we've got you in a special isolation room, we're going to have these little rooms that are right outside of it little where we put on all of our gear, completely cover ourselves up, go in there and do what we have to with you and come out. Is it because now if it's a respiratory, if it's something like something that we believe is going to kill us, we're not going to just wear some paper mask. There's going to be serious equipment put on us. It's not going to be like what we're talking about here. But the world has changed leading up to COVID. And there were nurses that if they refused to get the flu vaccine in the um, that the hospital required, they were not allowed to even be there before COVID without mask on all the time. That was a form of discrimination that was already happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of waiting till somebody's sick, and because most people who've had the flu, you know you had the flu and you don't go to you don't go to work. Right. But they were punishing them, uh, making them making a spectacle of them. So, I mean, my daughter's in nursing school. There's no such thing as go to the hospital without a mask. So medical professionals right now all have on masks. And I think it may be more for the psychological impact of it. I mean, patients are terrified. Um, If you come into the room and you don't have a mask on, they're worried about you because they've been led to believe that you could kill them because you don't have a mask on. So the media has fed us this belief system and people are afraid enough that really there's no way for a medical professional to actually have a life without a mask on. And I don't even know if it'll even go back to that. But Brownstone, I think it's called the brownstoneinstitute.org. There's 150 studies that all show the ineffectiveness of masks as we all are using them. And then for the record, uh, if people don't know this, in the summer of 21, here in Georgia and all across the South, we had an epidemic of our RSV, rhinosensitial virus, um, never, never belongs in the summer. It's never been seen in the summer. It's not ever supposed to be in the summer. Kids were in the hospital all summer long. Um, it is interesting that that happened um, just before the children's vaccine was released that fall. So I don't, I don't, I'm to the point now that if I say anything about that, there's no way it doesn't sound conspiratorial. So either RSV was present in the summer because the masks literally were making people sick, and that's why they got it, because it was something harboring inside of a dirty cloth mask. I mean, how many times have we all found masks laying around in places that are so disgusting looking? (laughs) 
I'm like, I'm glad they lost that because obviously they never cleaned it. Um, some, that's not clean. That's not even good sanitary ideas. I, there are, there is a list of things that I can pop off the top of my head that made no logical sense. And I have zero medical training. I'm the first to tell you. And they'll say, that's why you need to trust us because we do have medical knowledge. And the majority would comply. And if you're terrified of dying and you know enough people who've died, you know, you, you want to comply. I mean, when we were first scared that we didn't know what we were dealing with before we even got COVID, we started practicing bandanas on our face because I told my kids, I'm like, if this thing is really as bad as they say it is, I wonder why they're not telling us to wear a mask. Like, we should at least cover our face for something because maybe we have it. Maybe we're spreading it. Because obviously, if I am coughing and I have on a bandana, at least the droplets that come out of my mouth aren't going to come flying across at you. Um, But I think that they've already shown in some studies how many actually do still come through these paper cloths that, you know, out through the sides, up through the top. And a lot of people were showing some uh, vaping, vaping the smoke and how much Mm -hmm. it came through and things like that. And everybody wants to argue about what that is. Um, If you're happy wearing a mask, wear one. If somebody wants to take a risk and not wear a mask, I mean, you can't, I don't need to wear a badge that says I've already had COVID. If I have, why? I'm not really overly worried about getting COVID again right now. Right. Because that was my big thing. And I was a rebel from the get-go. I was that (laughs) one person walking through Walmart or walking through Kroger. And, you know, I was just going about my business. And not one time, not one time did anyone ever say anything to me. They may have been giving me dirty looks or, but. But you I, know what? I think we're in a world right now that somebody might assault us. You know, there's, there's some really, people are very unstable right now. I agree. You know, it's like, and just random attacks on people. So, you know, I've said to my boys, I mean, just be, be prepared for somebody who's got, have a good comment that is respectful to say to somebody, because I mean, it may sound like I was saying be disrespectful to the store owner, because maybe they're a vulnerable population and they just feel fearful themselves. The, those that are the most fearful probably should isolate themselves. But um, those of us that are not, we should feel like we're not going to be discriminated against if we don't comply with what makes you comfortable. Um, let me give an example. Um, as far as COVID goes, the symptoms that originally presented People had headache, a sore throat, a dry cough, s- stuffy nose, or something like that. There were symptoms that would say, how about not going out in public today? Mm-hmm. It, it pretty much took hold of you. The original ones did, the alpha, the, the, what they call the native variants. Um, it took hold of you that the average person with that would not be going out. Now, is a younger person like my kids, even them, the fevers put them to bed. They would not have gone out. They wouldn't have wanted to go shoot baskets or get together with a friend. Now, some that are just determined that they can't lose their social situation or their job may feel like they have to go. And, and we know those people that have sat in cubicles near us that cough their lungs out all through the day. Some people have asthma. Some people just have a cough. Some people are smokers' coughs. Allergies. Yeah, exactly. So now when I go through the store, if I feel a sneeze coming, I literally feel like a leper. Like, oh, my goodness. I do, too. They're going to think I have COVID. Yeah. <clears throat> you cough or you sneeze, and you're like, 
or clear my throat. I literally feel if I sniff, if I even sniff too much, I'm like, okay, that sounds like I have something. I feel like I have to give people a reassurance that I'm not sick. I, I'm just stuffy. Oh gosh, that sounds like I'm sick. You know, so right. it, it is, I, we're, I don't know if we're going to go back to normal because of that. I think that we're, I, in a good way, I would say we've all learned how to be cleaner. Right. I think people are more sanitary, uh, as Dr. McCullough reminds us. Um, this is not a virus of the hands. It is of the nose and the mouth. It is um, uh, replicating in the nose and mouth. And that is something that's going to have to be explained by Dr. Artis, how that applies to transference of the disease through the water supply. Um, because, you know, I know f- that there's science out there that says that uh, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, when they're positive for COVID, replicate at the same rate in their nose. So they have the same amount of replication of the virus in their nose. So they're not not replicating. Um, so if a vaccinated person has COVID and they are um, not aware of it because maybe their vaccine helped hide the symptoms initially, eventually the symptoms are going to show themselves and they're going to know they're sick. But were they super spreaders up until they got out there and realize, oh, I'm actually sick, but I'm getting reports all the time from my uh, followers that are telling me their vaccinated friends are almost like there's an arrogance, like, yeah, I'm sick, but I'm vaccinated, so I don't have to stay home, or I don't feel too bad, I don't have to stay home, and it looks like they are the ones that are um, propelling, propelling the spread, because if you're unvaccinated and you're sick with COVID, you're sick enough in the first couple of days that you don't go out, you don't go out and go into the public you don't go to work but maybe these people that are vaccinated have enough of a a lessening of the symptoms in the beginning that they don't think they need to stay home so they're actually out there with this stuff in their nose if everybody knew that if they would snort and gargle before they go to work and they would snort and gargle when they came home even if they're trying to replicate it's going to be slowed down it's going to be stopped Um, and nobody's telling them that and I say it everywhere I go and it sounds really rude snort and gargle But literally, you can either make your 1% povidone iodine solution. You can make your 1% hydrogen peroxide solution. And both of those can be diluted even down to 0.5% and still be effective. Um, So that is two easy peasies. Hydrogen peroxide being the easiest one because everybody has in their house a brown bottle of hydrogen peroxide that's a 3% uh, solution. I needed a chemistry person literally last year when I was doing all my dilution measurements because it was way outside my comfort zone. Um, Because what I need, so I had doctors who were recommending people um, nebulize at 0.04%, other doctors recommending 0.1%, and other doctors giving up to 3%. And I was having to teach people how to reduce a hydrogen peroxide 3% bottle down to one of those calculations and boy did I need some help then we were really (laughs) wrestling with all that Vicki could have totally come to the rescue on that I needed it it was so hard it took my college students and my husband and I like okay we got to make this as simple as possible for people because I don't want people to mess up with this it's got to be so easy so the easy thing for nebulizing for me was teaching people how to make a mason jar full that pick this recipe or that you either respect this doctor's view and you're going to do it their way you're going to do their recipe and here are the four recipes for you. But as far as the nasal sprays go, there's the 1% povidone iodine. There's the 1% hydrogen peroxide. And then you've got something, a product like xylitol, that is an artificial sugar that only people who have celiac disease shouldn't use. Um, 
but the kids love it because when you squirt it in the nose, it has like a sugary taste that runs down the back, but it stops replication of the virus. All of these stop replication of the virus in the nose and mouth. And there is no reason why everybody shouldn't have one of those concoctions at home. So if they have, if they can't afford to buy one of the pre-made, so the pre, the, you can make homemade xylitol nasal spray, or you can buy Xlear, X-L-E-A-R, which only has xylitol and grape, grapefruit seed extract in it. Or you could buy um, Cofix, which has iodine, 1% iodine, and um, xylitol in it. So it has both of them in it. And you could buy um, the betadine um, gargles. Or you could buy Listerine Cool Mint or one of the, or the scope that's specific that's listed on my list. All of those have already had the studies done that say within 15 seconds of it getting in your mouth, there is no way it's going to replicate, uh, like a 0.1% that it's going to keep replicating. And the only way you're going to progress in a disease and keep getting sicker is if you let it replicate. So don't sit home for seven days until you need to be hospitalized and can't breathe. Do a nasal spray for every four hours. Do a gargle every four hours. If you don't do anything else, at least do those two things. And you know, get your chances for not getting in the hospital because once you get in the hospital, it's almost impossible for me to get you out. So what else is in your COVID basket? Oh my goodness, I would have brought the whole list if I... Just, just a, <laughs> a few things. I mean, I'm just curious. What... Okay, so um, starting at the top of your head, um, I want everybody to have peppermint oil. So I prefer them to get a credible source of oils. Um, I happen to have oils from the wellness store. There's other people who sell doTERRA and Young Living that are uh, you know, good quality oils. But on my Amazon store, you can get the ones that are available on Amazon. I just can't speak for them. So peppermint oil is actually has salicylic acid in it, and it is the best headache remedy, and it is such a benefit to rub into the temples, rub across the forehead, and behind your ears if you're having the vertigo and dizziness, and at the base of your skull. I even help people to rub it down their pulse points of their carotid and on their um, wrist. I tell them to pick, take a bath with it, um, but I'll. But as far as baths go, that's part of the pr- nursing protocol. Taking warm to hot baths with Epsom salt inside of them is a wonderful fever management, and it overall treats the body. The body feels so much better. The COVID patient that gets in the hot bath with Epsom salt in it always feels better and improves. Okay, so headache, peppermint oil. Um, The doctors have argued this entire time of don't take ibuprofen. Right. Only take Tylenol. Only take ibuprofen. Alternate Tylenol and ibuprofen. Um, I think Dr. McCullough is at the point where he does the alternating. Okay. Okay. So that would be something that would be in the COVID basket. COVID causes quite a bit of pressure in people's sinuses. Um, Even the Omicron, that's an easier one. It feels like a really bad sinus infection sometimes for people. So I tell them to get the budesonide nasal spray, which is uh, Rhinocort. You can get it over the counter just about anywhere, and what it does is it reduces the inflammation in the sinuses to re- the pressure that's causing all the pain in your face. After they have squirt, that would be a twice a day thing. They do it in the morning, they do it again later in the day. After they've gotten their um, steroid that's in their nose, which is budesonide, to reduce that inflammation, then they would start their day out with every four hours of one of the replication stopping nasal sprays. And there's about five to choose from, four or five to choose from. Get one of them. Um, For the kids, when people have their sick kids, um, 
the babies, if you can restrain them, uh, we tell them to, like I put babies between my legs with their head up up between my legs and their um, arms under my thighs and their feet toward my feet. And you can totally bulb syringe a baby, um, you know, put saline in their nose, do whatever it takes for a baby if you're really worried about it. Otherwise, you can get Q-tip swabs and dip it in those same products and Q-tip swab their nose. And what I tell people to do with their little people is put beside the sink they're um, a mason jar of one of these solutions, whether it's 50-50, uh, let's just say 1% hydrogen peroxide, which is just a cup of 3% hydrogen peroxide and a cup of water. And you're going to have it beside their toothbrush, have them rinse off their toothbrush, dip it in there, and brush their teeth and brush their gums and brush their cheeks and brush their tongue. They basically accomplished nasopharyngeal sanitation. They haven't gotten it back like a gargle could do, but they've done something, and it makes the parents feel like they have something they can do because parents, parents are really quite terrified, and the children actually are doing very well. Um, we've heard about kids dying. Um, according to the stats last checked, only dead children from COVID were already hospitalized, either on a ventilator or severely ill. Something was severely wrong with them, and they could have gotten anything and died, and they may have gotten COVID and died. So um, have other children died from COVID? I don't have anybody throwing that data at us that says there's this, there is a very, very low death rate among anybody under 18 years old, but especially in the younger children that ma- mothers are really nervous about when the COVID hits their family. If you're a breastfeeding mom, breastfeeding is wonderful. You know, that's going to help them. If you're nebulizing yourself, you can literally, if you're nebulizing saline or if you're nebulizing hydrogen peroxide at 0.04%, you literally could blow it at the face and the baby's an obligate nose breather literally can have the benefit of that hydrogen peroxide being blown at their face. For the most part, your baby's only going to have congestion and maybe a cough, so you're going to treat it like a congestion and a cough. And you hope your doctor is going to give you what you need for that, but steamy bathrooms that are going to help with that cough or cough syrups that they allow for children, you know, or as another remedy. But I'm a fan of guaifenesin. Guaifenesin, you can only get in our area, CVS or Walgreens or some Dollar Trees have it. Um, it's Robitussin, but most Robitussin has added dextromethorphan to it. And I'm not a fan of that. I'm a fan of just guaifenesin because it um, thins the secretions. And it has, it has some, I think it, there's a very similar quality to quinine or something in it. There's something about it. They're both from some kind of, um, there may be some tree bark kind of connection. I can't remember what it is. But it doesn't taste good. I actually love it because my body needs it. I, I We take it quite a bit at our family. Um, so it's going to relieve some of the pressure in the head. It's going to help with the cough. If you have dizziness or vertigo, something with the ear pressure, We our family strongly believes that it really helps with vertigo. So anyways, guaifenesin is in the basket. The doctors have put Pepsid, which is also called famatidine, in the basket. And I have a doctor named Dr. Mobine who teaches doctors all the time who has exposed all the mechanisms that they've tried to figure out why does Pepsid work. It's a, it's a gut med that most people take for um, GERD or reflux or something like that or acid issues in their gut. Almost all COVID patients in almost any of the hospitals, no matter what, they all get some version of Pepsid given to them. Mm-hmm. And if you take Pepsid um, during your COVID, the chances of you being hospitalized apparently are very, very low. It's they don't understand why. They, I don't know if the mechanism has been discovered now, but what I last had published 
was they weren't sure why it worked, but it did have a uh, secondary benefit. Okay, so that is just another thing. Aspirin, actual baby aspirin. So in the beginning, people were being put on 81 milligrams of baby aspirin. That's what a baby aspirin is, is 81 milligrams. Um, it's the drug that everybody, when they hit their 50s on, they say you should take one a day because it's going to reduce your chances of a heart attack or something like that. This disease has proven to cause coagulopathies, so clotting of the blood. So um, the problem is apparently platelets sticking together or something like that. And the aspirin is an antiplatelet and helps people not have the blood clots. Well, now Dr. Peter McCullough says not, and I've, I've been telling my patients this all along, um, but m to stay safe, I would say if you have stomach issues, if you have issues with bleeding internally, if you have ulcers or something like that, you need to ask your doctor about what your dosage should be. But Dr. McCullough says 325 milligrams for 90 days. So you've, there are strokes and heart attacks and um, major coagulation problems up to 90 days post-COVID. So that's what I now say to my, my people, that unless you have a bleeding disorder of some kind that needs to be consulted with, that's what the doctors are tending to rec uh, recommend now. Um, and so I tell people to get the Ecotrin, E-C-O-T-R-I-N, which is a very heavily safety-coated um, aspirin that doesn't do the damage to the stomach. It doesn't just go sit in the stomach and eat up your stomach wall. So aspirin is a vital important. I happen to have a, a rare blood clotting disorder that already had me on drugs like that. And it's very likely why I turned out okay because I was already on a major drug for right. coagulopathy. So um, going down the list, just throat, people have throat issues. So there's going to be need lists of remedies. I have a whole list of teas that are beneficial. Everybody should have throat coat in their uh, COVID basket. Um, enough for everybody in the family because you really want it all the time. Whatever your favorite throat sprays are, um, as, whether they be the homeopathic bee venom ones or just chloroseptic, something that's going to help you with the pain of your throat. Um, honey, the Manuka honey is one of the big ones that even the FLCCC says you should have. And they actually have a dosage according to your weight. So you take a certain amount of it per pound per day. Um, and then now we're, I'm telling people to go ahead and get the black cumin seed, which is something that you'll just have to read about on my website. Um, but it is apparently a substitute for people who can't get access to ivermectin. Apparently it has a similar mechanism of action in the body. It's really good on the anti-inflammatory uh, anti benefit. And when you read about what all this thing can do, it sounds like a pretty great thing to have anyways. So black cumin seed, and it is given by weight as well. So it is like 40 milligrams per kilogram per day. So I have in my Amazon store um, the higher the doses so that a little person could get um, their, their calculations and take less pills, and I want you to take less pills. Uh, on that note, I think everybody should have a pill organizer, what you associate to an elderly person, mm -hmm. because this is a lot of stuff that you're suddenly taking, and if you're not used to taking lots of supplements or medicines like an older person might be doing, this is a lot to manage, and you do not want to be figuring it out while you're sick. So I tell people to have your pill pack that has um, seven days, four times a day, four across, four down, seven across. The Mac Daddy pill box. Yes. I know which one. <laughs> and um, if you have elderly people that are uh, far away from you and you're worried about taking care of mom or dad from afar, um, I would tell you to go ahead and get 
there are some very expensive pill organizers. And if anybody doesn't know this and has elderly people who are declining, you need to, you definitely need to get one of these. They can be as much as $400. Okay. One of them looks like a cute little robot and it literally, if you are caring for an elder person from afar, you could set it up for 30 days. It's got everything they need for their medicines. And it says, Alice, your pills are ready. And it drops them down into a little cup and Alice can walk over and pick up her little cup. There's no messing up uh, if you have a dementia patient or an Alzheimer's patient who's still wanting to stay home, but that's just how they get in trouble is with their meds. Getting their meds managed at home with one of these, they can be $70. Some of the high-tech ones are only 70 but they can go they can go to 1000 I mean, there's some that are like um, long-term. They have lot, lot, lots of meds. Like if somebody's taking 20 meds a day, um, you can wow. have it at home and keep your person out of a nursing care home. But people who are helping manage their elder care, they need to have a machine that's already pre-ready so that when mom tests positive or dad tests positive, that thing is going to be turned on and it's got everything they need already set up. Their regular prescriptions are already in there and their new things that they need to have added to their um, regimen. But normal people that can just want to keep their act together that are not um, high risk can just get themselves a simple pill pack. Okay, so that's one of the things on the, pill, uh, the thing as well. So as far as the cardiovascular, I tell people to get, there's medical equipment I suggest as well. One of them is the pulse oximeter. Absolute necessity. You're going to pay 15 to 25 to 40 bucks if you don't get one soon. <laughs> and the supply starts being a problem, get one. Everybody needs, uh, people who have cardiac issues at all with a history should already own a Cardiomobile. And which is a little $80, um, it's only about three inches long. And you can stick it to the back of your phone. I used to have mine on my phone. And you just put your fingers on it, and it gives you an EKG in 60 seconds. So really? If, it's, yeah, on, it's on Amazon. For $80. Yeah. Usually about $80 is what you're going to pay, and you can pay another 10 and get a cute little case to keep it. Because you need to keep it in something because it's hard to keep up with. It's annoying. So um, those are for the high-risk people. I tell them, go ahead and get a Cardiomobile. Um, the spirometer, the breathing through the – every people who've been hospitalized all have one. But if you don't have a spirometer, you need to know that you should be either blowing bubbles or you have your kids blow bubbles um, or singing. And most people don't feel like singing, but there's some people who just like singing. So you can, if you don't have a spirometer, you can do breathing exercises. You can look them up online and there are um, those respiratory exercises. I tell people to get a massaging that um, you can use for like people get them for their back or uh, massage pain or whatever. If you get one of those and you get COVID, it's at least a form of respiratory therapy you can do to yourself if you have nobody else. If you have somebody, you can lay on your stomach and have them go up and down your back. Anybody who lays on their stomach is going to increase their um, oxygen moving capacity. So I tell people, do at least eight hours a day on their stomach. I'm trying to go down the list in my mind of everything. There's a whole list of essential oils that I want you to have diffusing beside you that... um, if you um, can, just go ahead and do the breathing where you're actually fanning it towards your face and you're doing intentional inhalation of those oils. I tell people to make sure they have, there's some that have been created that are vapors for the bath. For the t- for the shower, you can drop one on the floor mm-hmm. and it's a Vicks vapor. Vicks. I've seen those. And it will grab the steam and all the steam has this camphor that's in it that will actually help clear your breathing. And then I want people always taking a bath every day. Um, a hot, I, I'm for the hot bath because the heat of the fevers and the heat of the baths actually increases your interferons. Typically, we tell people to take a tepid, uh, lukewarm bath. But 
um, all my patients take hot baths. And um, they say it's like a miracle for them because the, all those interferons crank up and it's doing the job. The interferons are supposed to be cranking up to go fight for you and you want them fighting for you. So um, going through and trying to just keep going down the body, obviously the coughs are, and then people have ear issues, vertigo and ear pain. So I have on my list the garlic mullen eardrops that people would like soak it in. You soak the bottle in a cup of hot water and let it get nice and toasty warm. And then you put a drop in each ear, a couple of drops in each ear and put a cotton ball in it. That's a way to deal with that particular symptom. I'm trying to think of all the other symptoms, but as far as Omicron goes, Omicron is just like a cold in your nose with a lot of sinus pressure and headaches. And a really, I mean, people have, they've said words like it was the wickedest sore throat I've ever had. People have said their mouth was totally coated with like bizarre coating. Like, a, like it looked like there was just something growing in their mm. mouth. And there is. It's replicating in your mouth. Mm-hmm. So please brush your, t- you know, you're going to throw that toothbrush away when you're done. But you need to be soaking it in some of these things, either the 1% iodine or the um, 1% hydrogen peroxide. And brush your tongue and brush your teeth and brush your gums and your, and your cheeks and gargle and swish that stuff around in your mouth. Because it is trying to take over and get down and go ahead and take on down into your lungs. Stop it from doing that. And I am a huge advocate of nebulizing. And I have been most censored for this. So um, I will say this, that when I first started doing it and I was getting so heavily censored, I'm like, this is really painful because it looks like all the data says it's good. But I was still waiting for all my thousands of people to come back and tell me. The reports of people after they nebulize hydrogen peroxide is unbelievable. And I'm, I know anybody who's listening to this are like, she is a total whack. This is ridiculous. I've never heard of such a thing. It is well documented. You can find it on the National Institute of Health website. And it literally is recommended. And um, hydrogen peroxide, is a nat- we don't think of it as something natural, but it is. It's actually something that's inside of our bodies. And Lugol's iodine is something that is also part of this list and I've never owned that before COVID and now we have it. Every time our kids get anything right now, they nebulize 0.04% hydrogen peroxide with a drop or two of Lugol's iodine. Um, so as I segue, I want to just segue toward Dr. Brownstein for just a moment. This wonderful doctor has been treating his patients for I think a couple of decades with 0.04% hydrogen peroxide and what he believes is that when you test, when you get any, the flu, I have a cold, I have some kind of respiratory, anything, it's COVID, it's the flu, whatever it is. On day one of that illness, if you make 0.04% hydrogen peroxide and nebulize it every hour, you may have just completely knocked it out. Okay, it's just maybe over. The people who actually do it, they, they're well within three days. They're just done. This virus just doesn't have a chance. It doesn't get a chance. Um, so he has them, there's four things he has them do for the first four days of the virus. On day one, you nebulize every hour, which is, it's awful. It's like you're doing it all day long. Right. You're just going to sit there and nebulize all day long, but we love it now. Nebulize every hour on the first day. That's day the rest of the days, you do it every four hours. On days one through four, you take 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C every hour. Not, not a day, every hour until you have bowels that change and if your bowels start to get diarrhea like that just says okay I've, I've met my level my need of vitamin c i'm good i don't need to i can just start taking six thousand a day instead of one thousand every hour 
So um, what we do with my kids is we get the kind that are chewable, the little sucky kind, the yummy kind. Yes. And I just put a cup beside their bed every morning, enough for them to, I say, at the top of every hour, you know, just pop one in. So it's really easy to do, pop, pet, pet it at your desk or whatever. And if everybody just did this on a regular basis, we can't make vitamin C for ourselves. So we need this thing happening for ourselves while we're sick. So vitamin C, 1,000 milligrams every hour. This one's a shocker. Vitamin D, 50,000 international units a day. So that's prescription strength. Um, so what I have in my cart at Amazon is ten, the 10,000 so that you're only taking 10. You're taking 10. And most people are like, how can I do this? There's only a few people who have disorders that can't do this. Um, sarcoidosis is one of them. And um, people like me, I have a tumor in my neck that makes calcium mess up. So um, I do it anyways because I know it's going to make me make um, kidney stones. So if I just drink lemonade, it, it works for me. So I'll still take my, because my vitamin D is always going to be low. And if people don't know this, if, you're, if you don't know what your vitamin D level is, you need to know what it is. And you need to know if it's 50 or above. If it's not, you need to find a doctor that's going to prescribe you um, prescription strength vitamin D until it is at 50. And that's just the, the standard. Um, the, sta- the understanding is, is if you are 50 or above, the chances of you even getting the disease is very significantly reduced. If not, that you won't get it. Something about that vitamin D is significant. And just for me saying that, if I try to say that on my platform, I mean, it'll just get deleted. So That's so crazy. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, okay, so is that really that bad that I said that? But this is what this doctor has been doing for decades, and this is what he does with all his virus patients, okay? But isn't it shown that a lot of these patients are vitamin D deficient? Yes, the ones that are very sick, the hospitalized <clears throat> patient. So um, what will happen with these hospitals that we're trying to get um, vitamin D administered to them after we get vitamin D, they're, the hospital's like, okay, we'll give them some vitamin D. We'll give them 2,000 a day. They, they, won't give you, they won't give you what you're asking for. They will not give you the quantity. You have, you have to really fight for that because if you're in a hospital, you're in, you need as much as you can being given at you. So let's go back to just the patient who's just positive COVID the first four days. So you're going to take your 50,000 a day for four days. You're going to take 100,000 IUs of vitamin A a day for four days, which is a lot. And you stop after your four days are up. That's all that you do. And most people are not even sick anymore after their first four days. They've snorted and gargled every four hours for those entire four days. They nebulized faithfully. They took their supplements. Those are the four primary that he does, but that's not all you're taking. But those are the those are the hit it big. If you don't do anything else, do these things. Um, there are overconfident people out there that are like, this is just a flu. This is just another name for the flu. And I ha- and a lot of my followers are those people. There's probably a good 10% of them that are, think that. And I have had to take care of them after they got in the hospital. Because some of them actually did just get the flu. And they got a PCR test that was a false negative, false positive. And it told them they had COVID. They think they had COVID. And they actually did just have the flu. And COVID's still coming for them. And they just haven't had COVID yet. Because we all know that flu disappeared on the stats during 2020. It just wasn't there anymore. So we know that the PCR test, PCR RT test, was canceled and can't be given anymore because it was wrongly picking up flu and calling it COVID. So there are a lot of people who think they had COVID and and, want to say, oh, it was nothing but a flu because it was a flu. That's what you probably had. And COVID is still, you know, coming your direction. 
But um, there's also some studies out there that say there's probably about 10% of the population that will never get this, that there's something about them that is either super immune or they had SARS-CoV-1 back in 2003, or 19 years ago, it was when I think it happened, and they've got some kind of immunity still in their body, and maybe that's why they're not going to get this disease, but there's some unique population of people that aren't going to get it, and just be thankful if you're among that person instead of proud. Um, there's a there's a population of people out there that are really hyper hyper wellness. Um, they they eat good. They've got perfect bodies and they're in perfect health and everything looks so perfect. And they have this false belief that it's because they're doing something so awesome and wonderful. And here's the thing: there's people like me that are out there that were born with a body that has a ton of problems that are broken and wrong, and it's all wrong. And no matter what I do good, it doesn't work for me. And I just said it suddenly decides to randomly just start making uh, kidney stones on me. Or suddenly I have another lesion of MS. But so there's those of us, and I can't, I can't go out and do lift weights. And I can't go run a mile. I have other degenerative problems that are going to keep me from doing that. I finally bought a house that has a pool so I can do the kind of um, athletics that I'm only allowed to do, which is in the water. So as you sit back and comfort yourself in all the wonderful things that you're doing, if you're listening to me and you're one of those people, know that there's everybody can't do that. And you may just have some wonderful immunity, and it's very likely that you got good genetics and you got something else given to you that you did not do yourself. Is it good that we all eat good food, and is it good that we all take good supplements? Yes. But are there vulnerable people out there that no matter how much good food and good exercise they do, they're still going to have some negative things happen to them? I'd like to hear a lot less divisiveness from everybody. There seems to be such a desire to um, either um, destroy the people who are the treat early crowd and say that we're all ridiculous idiots that believe in ivermectin or whatever, or um, we're anti the vaccine crowd and think that they're all idiots that were sheep that followed and just did what they were told. What we need is, um, especially among the Christian community, we need a lot less of that. We don't need a lot of superiority and um, pharisaical. Pharisees destroy. That's what they do. And um, I don't presume that anything I'm doing on my website is in pride being done. I'm doing it literally for the sake of ending suffering and and relieving the oppressed and if it can help somebody great if you don't want what I have okay don't talk bad about me you know do what you want to do Do you do you and I'm doing me I know God's put this burden on me to do this I have thousands of reports of amazing stories that have shown that these people who use the protocol and do it faithfully and do what these doctors have suggested they have good outcomes and people who don't don't have good outcomes and people who think they have a good outcome because um, they did something um, different great I'm glad that they they did do something different whatever worked for you um, I just want there to be more let it the alienation just alienating so many people making people feel like it's not safe to be friends there are people who have lost entire family members over these issues um, th- that don't even speak to them anymore um, they have um, marriages that have been divided. Um, my husband's boss literally said, um, if this company makes me get this vaccine, they will never get more than 40 hours of me. I will never give them 100% of me ever again. I will never push to be whatever, but I'm probably going to have to get it because my wife will leave me if I don't do it. So so that, that's one of 
thousands of stories like that, that people literally feel like these college kids that feel like um, the peer pressure that they're surrounded by, um, you know, it's almost worth it to just pretend like you got it so that your friends won't ostracize you. But yet at the same time, I want people to stand up and be a voice and say, of course I didn't get it because my conscience told me not to. I did what my conscience told you, told me to do. You did what your conscience told you to do. Can we just move on from here? I, I will say pride has been on full display on both sides. Yes. Um, people that um, got the vaccine, very proud. You know, I countless friends holding up their vaccine cards and taking selfies and and um, and, and then we need to be anti-mandate no matter what. If you want to get a vaccine, get a vaccine, but you better be anti-mandate. The fact is, those that didn't get the vaccine are more educated about the vaccine than those that got the vaccine. Yeah, the studies actually show that the vaccine hesitant have the highest education. Like there's PhDs, a lot of PhDs among the hesitant. There's two categories, either highly educated or extremely not educated. And they question, why is that? Why is there such a imbalance? Like they're very educated because they can read and they know they they can read all these studies they know what they say they're they've read the studies and they actually know based on what they've read that it looks like this is something maybe to ponder not doing now don't get me wrong there's plenty of extremely highly educated people who want to shove the vaccine down your throat also so don't get don't think that just because i mean the study says that among the hesitant are two categories the the highly educated and the less educated and um, what they're saying about that group of people are the high-risk populations. Let's just say that there is the poor, and maybe they're poor because they have learning disabilities or whatever they may be, whatever they are. They could be about recognizing bad things that have been done to us. When we're um, not quite perfect, history has shown that we're good guinea pigs. So we're a little hesitant to be a potential guinea pig. So we're going to just wait and watch how things turn out for other people. Less history has shown them that there's something to be hesitant about. And then I think they said also minority populations have also shown some degree of hesitancy. Um, so they have seen in this country severe things happen to them, whether it be the, um, oh goodness, the Tuskegee experiments yes. and other shocking things that have happened with uh, medicines and, and fumigating things and all kinds of scary stuff. I, so. I had read, um, uh, amazing, being in the pandemic and lockdowns, I was doing a lot of research and I was reading about the Tuskegee experiment and how long, how many decades that went on. And then I was reading back, going back to Prohibition, how our own government was putting poison into the liquor supply and was poisoning people. Yeah, there's enough scary things that if we are starting to come out that we have heard that maybe it's just best to follow your conscience about what you should do for yourself. And that's really what we think of as being an American, that we can make our choice, we get to do what we want to do, you do you, and this all works. And I, there was a point where I was thinking in my 30s, is this always going to keep working like this? Because some of these ideologies that were all just like, okay, they're just being them, that's them, that are so the antithesis of another ideology that how long is that going to work before it's going to be a problem? 
Um, and I think some of that may be coming to a head right now. Um, but as far as the vaccines go, here's some things. I just want to say something to people that this is one of the 12 questions that I ask. Um, people don't know that. Okay, so I'm 54. So if you are in your 50s, your my grandmother was born in 1920. Okay, so I ask the doctors and I ask anybody else, you know, how many vaccines do you think your grandmother had? So my grandmother, who was born in the 1920s, I asked them the question. And the answer is around two, that they had about two vaccines before they were 18 years old. Your mother, my mother, who's now in her 70s, how many vaccines do you think she had to have before she was 18 years old? And nobody knows the answer to that either, but the answer is around uh, three or four, okay? So my generation, I'm in my 50s, how many vaccines did I have to have before I turned 18 years old? And it was around about um, six vaccines. What number did I just say my mom had? You said three or four. Three or four, and then mine's about six. And then I say to them, okay, I have two grandbabies. How many vaccines do you think they have? Okay, wait. Yeah, my, my daughter, my, my kids are between 32 years old and 14 years old. How many do you think they have to have? And I'm not sure if I'll give you all a chance to guess what those are, because those are our kids' ages. Well, So what do you uh, think the number is between okay. 0 and 18 Eight for your 10? kids? Okay, okay. so my, our, my friend that we had on prior to you um, she actually blurted out a number. Okay, don't say it yet. If okay. You, okay. So, all right. So most people think, okay, maybe my kids had about 10 vaccines that they had to have between the ages of zero and 18 years old. And then I say, okay, well, how many do you think your grandbaby, because I have one that's three and one that's one, just under two, how many vaccines do they have? So just give me your best guess. What do you think it is? If you think you may have already heard it, then, you know, maybe not. What's your best guess on babies right now being born? Before they're 18 years old, how many they will have mandated before they graduate high school? What do you think? 20? 72. 72. So that amount of vaccines. So let me give you an example. When they come in for a two-month checkup, you think, okay, I'm restraining my baby for the doctor, for the nurse to stick it in the little shoulder. Okay, now I'm going to turn them to this side. They're going to do the other shoulder, and now I'm going to restrain them and let them give the thigh. So in your mind, your baby just got, you were a good mommy, and you just went and gave your baby um, their three shots for today. Well, they didn't get three shots. There was there more were, than one in There's each. eight antigens in that day. So gotcha. that day represents eight antigens because they've condensed the shots. They've um, combined, combined them into one injection, okay? So that is just a reality that every young mama, I'll give you an example. When we toured the um, labor and delivery suite with my daughter, when we were, she was about to have her baby, um, I was touring with her and there were probably 10 other moms and dads in there with their big bellies, you know, looking at the tour. And we got to the room where they showed you the bed where the newborn lays. And they said, and to, and as soon as they're born, they're going to get their very first vaccine. They're going to get their hepatitis B vaccine right here. And she kind of clapped. It was almost like a Vanna White moment. And the whole group that was standing there literally looked like little robots that shook their heads smiling like, oh boy, you know, my baby's going to get their first vaccine. And my daughter, who's the vaccine injured daughter, you know, elbowed me and said, mama, you got to say something. 
So I blurted out, but you don't have to get that vaccine. You can tell them no, they don't have to have it. And the nurse was just mortified that I would say such a thing. She says, but, but the babies all need this vaccine. I said, but they don't. And you don't have to say yes. And I just was a problem person and just went on my merry way. <laughs> but the reality about that uh, particular vaccine that's given on the first day a baby is born, it wasn't always that way, um, is... Um, maybe maybe too graphic for this particular thing, but there's certain criteria that that mother would have had to have been participating in to make her a high risk person for having that virus that she could have test given it to that baby, and she's tested for that before she comes into delivery. So we already know what she doesn't have, and yet we're giving this to this baby on the very first day it's born. So um, that's so why why is that? Yeah, I think everybody needs to do their due diligence and actually look into the history of these vaccines because you're going to be surprised what you learn. And, um, you know, there are every person that is technically an anti-vax person that you may want to talk bad about was once upon a time a vaccinated pro-vax person. And the reason why they're not pro-vax anymore is because they either have an injured, permanently handicapped or dead child. They are people who have had something very bad happen to a child of theirs and or a loved one. And once they've had it happen to them, like right now we have a COVID vaccine, there's legitimate injuries and deaths happening to people. And you either want to believe them or you want to pretend like they're not happening or you want to gaslight them and abuse them and make them feel guilty because they had a trauma happen to them because they obeyed and went and did what they were told to do. They went and did what they were suggested to do. They were told it was safe and effective, and some people are not alive anymore after doing it. Some people are handicapped after doing it. Some people are suffering long-term medical effects and medical bills after doing it. And they're real people, and they deserve compassion. And the same thing applies for the families of the vaccine, the children that are vaccine-injured. So that's just a basic little um, about the history of vaccines, you know, do what you want with that. Um, that is nothing. That's a drop. In, that's a little drop in the bucket. But the question is, what happened between mine and yours? Uh, the 54-year-old woman having only eight, and my grandbaby having 72. What happened? And what people? And this is one of the questions that I ask the doctors: is, you know, do you know what happened in 1985? that changed the face of history for vaccines in this country. And they do not know the answer. And it's called the Vaccine um, Act of 1986. And what happened was there was so much litigation against the vaccine manufacturers because of injuries to the children that they were about to bankrupt the vaccine industry. So the vaccine industry petitions the government and the government affords the pharmaceutical companies 100% liability-free protection to all vaccine manufacturers. It does not matter what happens to you after a vaccine. It doesn't matter if you are handicapped. It doesn't matter if you have a dead child. You cannot ever sue that vaccine manufacturer because they've been given 100% protection. What the, and what they created was the Vaccine Act, um, the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. And effectively in that year, which was happens to be the year I graduated high school, they made it so that every time a kid got a vaccine or anybody got a vaccine, there was like a 75 cent surcharge added to that vaccine. And that money went into the bank called the Vaccine Injury Fund, the Vaccine Injury Compensation Fund. 
to be able to pay for any future injuries that they presume are rare, that those rare people who have those vaccine injuries, they can then go and get um, money from the government for that. But you only have three years. You must collect all your own medical evidence yourself. If you do not file your vaccine injury before the three years, you can never file again. You can never claim it ever again. Once you do file your claim, you have to have a vaccine injury lawyer that is provided for you by the government. It is 100% free for you to get that lawyer. The lawyer will only be paid, you think, when you win, but that's not true. They can leave you and abandon you and get and clock all their hours and get paid a fortune in hours and still abandon you. And that's what happened to us. We had a lawyer abandon us and he got paid $75,000 after working with me for two years. The government paid him $75,000 out of that fund and we were left having to find another lawyer that would could do the same thing to us as well. So the vaccine injury compensation program started then and prior to that we only had this limited number of vaccines available. After there was broad sweeping protection for the, the industry that makes the vaccines, the number of va vaccines that have been now added to the children's schedule has, you know, 10 times um, the number. It's just a phenomenal number. And those are all liability-free protection. And the people that are in the industry in the, in the, on the side of the story that I'm with, that I'm in with because I have a vaccine-injured child, um, we, we are aware that the studies prior to... Um, the 1985 Act passing, the kind of epidemic of autoimmune diseases among children was never seen. We have an epidemic of autoimmune diseases in children in this country right now. Um, almost all of my kids' children's friends are on some kind of medication, they, and it's normal. It's normalized. This is now the new norm to have everybody has asthma, everybody has some kind of autoimmune, weird, everybody has ex eczema, oh, my kid has eczema too, or whatever. It is the new norm, and what our side is trying to say is there's too much being given to children and affecting their immune system too young. We need to reevaluate what we're doing here and let, the, let these bodies remain virgin immune systems that do the let them do their job that they're supposed to the way here's a question on my list for my doctors what's the main treatment for measles if you get measles they don't know the answer the answer is vitamin a vitamin a very easy we can take care of that you know so that's not true for all of them some of them are very scary and that's why people get scared about doing it and we need to be educating parents how to take care of these childhood diseases and not be afraid like you know we had chicken box we survived our chicken pox, and if you let kids get chicken pox in their childhood, there's a good there's, there's some good things about that. And most of my kids are all got their chicken pox vaccine, so you know they they will have to get chicken pox vaccines forever to be protected because of that, because they will never get natural immunity because they didn't get it. So that is a TMI um, on the vaccine world, but people who are in that world already came to this COVID vaccine knowing. Um, what we do about that and knowing that this vaccines we have problems with already had 10 years of studies six years of studies not not months not right. months so the the um, lack of confidence that was there among that communities here and obviously there's more people that can't believe they're now hanging out with the anti-vaxxers so in, in my case I'm an ex-vaxxer I'm not an anti-vaxxer mm -hmm. um, because that means I vaccinated and then had an injured child and stopped right Right. And none of my grandbabies have been vaccinated. And, you know, the mothers are not for doing that. So I'm thankful for that.
mm-hmm. for, the, for the baby's sake. We'll see. We'll see how that next generation does. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, did we cover everything? That you, <laughs> What's next for Nurse Michelle? Um, right now, it's advocacy. Um, pr- predominantly, um, for a while, there was probably thousands and thousands of hours that was all 100% um, volunteer. It was never, no, there was no pay or anything like that. And it was um, overwhelming. I mean, I could probably have sometimes some, anywhere between 200 to 400 interactions with patients in a day, in a wow. 24-hour period. And that's a- answering simple questions about how do I nebulize this or my dad is dying in the hospital right now. Can you help me? It was extreme, all, all, all extremes. And I found out pretty quickly that I could not field them all. And um, I had to start notifying my people that you're, you're going to have to reach out to me some other way because when I see a thousand little blue dots in my DMs, I can't even guarantee I can get, I start losing my voice by 2 a.m. and I, I can't even voice text answers anymore. Um, so I, um, when did, what was the timing of everything? Somewhere in there when all the censorship started, Somebody told me that, Michelle, here you are creating a COVID basket list. Everybody's going to Amazon and buying all this stuff or going locally. And that's what I was telling people to do. They're like, why don't you create your own Amazon store? I'm like, oh, can I do that? So I did. And I got approved to be an influencer with Amazon. So being able to get a little commission, like if you're going to go buy Pepsid anyways and you buy it online, it doesn't cost you. You're still buying Pepsid, you know, either way. But they give me like a penny for it. And if enough and if thousands of people do that, which they have, um, you know, it ends up being a pretty decent check that helps me feel like, okay, most people do make more than $200 a month. But, you know, if I was getting nothing, that was suddenly something. And then all of a sudden I had my biggest month ever, which was in December. People were putting COVID baskets together for all their friends for Christmas. And I think I had a $1,000 check that was going to be coming to me, which, wait, wait, let me make sure I get it right. Whatever it was, whatever the number was, meant I probably, maybe it was $800. Maybe it was $800, which meant I probably drove $8,000 of business to Amazon. Amazon all of a sudden decided that they, I got a threatening letter in the mail that said, if you do not become compliant within five days, we will delete your entire account and collect all your, you will not get any more of your commissions. And their commissions are always two months behind. So my biggest commissions were coming and I was about to get, they were going to just take it from me. Found out that influencers had to go through the same place that you would have to if you lost your package. And it was almost a nightmare to find out what I wasn't compliant in. And I said, okay, well, how will I know if I'm, I've obeyed and done what I'm supposed to do? You won't lose your account. That's how you'll know. I mean, it was just a big wake up call for me. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to find a way besides Amazon right now, that's the primary thing I still have to do, that I can help people still accomplish this and I get some kind of compensation for my time um, that will work. So I've been looking for avenues to create um, baskets. Somebody has proposed an idea for me to um, put together an entire line that literally all the supplements have Nurse Michelle or something like that on it, that it's actually possible to be done. So I am looking at that, but I also connected with a store that does provide a lot of things. So I tell people, okay, if you want some things that are just pure, you can go through that store. And then um, right before Dr. No, when I found out Dr. McCullough was going to interview me, let me see how any kind of finances happened for me. Oh, my kids told me, mom, people were asking me if they could donate. Like long before I knew how to let them donate. 
they're like, Michelle, you just saved my family's life. You've got to let me be able to donate. Please let me be able to donate. I'm like, I don't even know what to, I don't even know how to get a Venmo. I was that, that untechnical. My kids got me a Venmo and a PayPal. And next thing I know, people are dropping $5, $10, $50, $100 here and there. And it was like, oh, this is really, this is very nice. And I never asked for it. And I never expected it. So like, you know, when I'm working through my day and I'll see a little PayPal, a little ding, ding, ding. I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. You know, it's just a nice thing that happens. But then as time was progressing on, um, it's still probably 15 hour days uh, with these people, these patients. Um, And then the censorship was very time consuming. Um, When Dr. McCullough was about to interview me, one of my faithful followers said, Miss Michelle, we've got to get you a website that's censorship free. And this girl is an amazing person, and she, um, cattle, cattle herding, beautiful 30-year-old young woman that kills pigs and slaughters them and does everything else and is a, looks like a fashion model. She said, I'm going to help you put your website together. And I really needed somebody to help me because I, I, I kept trying to do it with Wix or whatever by myself, and I didn't have the time with the patient load to be able to do it. And she and I stayed up till 4 o'clock every night, which I usually stayed up till three, but she and I together stayed up till four, working on that website. And we published it at 8 a.m. on the day Dr. McCullough's podcast aired. Four hours later, um, Linktree um, deleted 100% of my platform. And I lost all ability to get donations. I lost all ability for people to be able to find the protocols, to be able to find, to download anything to help them. Any resources that could possibly help them immediately removed and um, I would tell anybody who's out there, uh, anybody who has ever heard of a link tree being deleted, if you still have a link tree, you know, you're, you're really um, not supporting free speech because they are anti-free speech. And there's another one called campsite.bio. It's better than Linktree, has the exact same benefits that you're used to getting with Linktree, but you also have another place you can get it where they can't affect me. And that's advocacywithmichelle.com. So that's, it's hard to keep it all up. I can't do it all. But um, the doctor from New Zealand said to me, it is time for you to start. Um, you're, you're giving too much away of yourself for not and getting no income at all. And so she convinced me to start having consultation ability. So now people can schedule a consultation because honestly, um, I have literally gotten people out of the hospital and spent probably five hours on just one person through DM you know, with no, no, no benefit to me financially at all. And it is blood pressure raising, extreme stress. Um, I can't even begin to tell you. I mean, I literally am going up against the powers that be in some of the most powerful places in a hospital. And um, it is, I'm threatened and um, I've, I've been accused of practicing medicine without a license. And, you know, they can come after me for that. And I assure them that that's not what I'm doing. What I'm actually doing is reminding the them their patient actually has a right to advocacy and you're denying them an advocate you're not letting their loved one even come in there so they need somebody who can actually talk to you on your level and that's why I'm here to talk to you and remind you that this is what this family wants and it's time for you to start listening to them so that's basically you know a role I play um, but through the advocacy website now people who have very complicated situations who are scared don't feel like they need some extra stuff for their covid basket and need some consultation they can sit down with me for 30 minutes for an hour and for a very low amount they can sit down and have about an hour with me 
and get through it. Some of them uh, had a recent case where the man was on a ventilator for 120 days. Oh, my Was in the hospital for a a phenomenal amount of time. I mean, the, the fact that he's alive is only because, not only the grace of God, his wife fought like a lion for him. I mean, she snuck in smoothies. She snuck, once they started letting her bring smoothies in to put in his feeding tube, this is a, a man who is, um, if he's not a world-renowned surfer, we're talking about a 50-year-old man who is fit and should never have had this happen to him. When I heard her story, they had their COVID basket ready, and they kept it at home, and they went on a trip, and they got sick on the trip, had nothing with them. It kicked their booty so fast, they could barely drive home alive. They were barely functional. And by day nine, he was hospitalized. And what they, what the policies and protocols are is put him on remdesivir for five days. And before you know it, he's on a ventilator. And before you know it, he is a product of the, the complications of the policies within the hospital. And unbelievable things. But when they finally let her come in, she started p- cracking medicines and supplements and putting them inside the smoothies. They allowed the smoothies. But they wouldn't allow the medicines that she wanted. So she found a way to get that man everything she wanted for him in his smoothie so it'd go down his feeding tube. And he, got, he is out alive. But um, some people need a lot of attention on how do I, um, what, what kind of rehab. You were talking about cardiac rehab. Mm-hmm. There is so much rehab and only so much money. So they need somebody that they can talk to that says, okay, here's ways that you can do this at home through Google. You can get this information that's out there on YouTube. And and here's a chart that you can do to help you uh, manage what his daily needs are because it's phenomenal. Some of these people are, you know, completely altered after a hospitalization like that. And their voices need to be heard and nobody's out there hearing them. And some people really just need to have somebody believe them, believe their story. And, and believe their symptoms and say, oh, that's a credible symptom. There's actually something you can do for that symptom. This is what these doctors say do for that symptom. Do it. Let me come, right, come back to me in a, a week or so and tell me if it's helped or not. I'm not prescribing anything because I can't prescribe anything. I can just tell you what the doctors have prescribed. And most people don't even know that there's doctors out there that are um, brave enough to give you some suggestions. So that's my goal is let you know what there is out there. And every time I pull people in the public, they don't even know. There's nasal sprays. They don't even know there's something other than a vaccine. They think there's still something to fear. Absolutely. Do you think that we've got um, something else coming our way? Makes you wonder when you see what's going on with Shanghai. Like right. What, what is happening there? They're starving their people. People are jumping to their death. Yeah. My people, husband was telling me just this morning. Um, they're start. They're they're locking people in yeah you can't get out of your actual door your door is bolted or um something like that yeah i people send me this stuff i try not to let my website my platform be political at all but sometimes there's just such grotesque things happening in our society that i want to say be brave if this comes to you are you going to be brave are you Mm going to do something brave because it's literally going to take people acting brave and not going with the flow and standing up and saying, this is why I don't consent. This is why I do not agree. And there is a belief system within Christianity. You know, uh, what is the verse that says that um, that we are to obey those that have been put in charge over us? So um, I think it was Charlie Kirk who did a expose on the theology that was all messed up in that thinking 
as it pertains to what's happening here in our society, that it actually is the role of a Christian to expose darkness and evil, not to comply. If you, if you see something, if there's evil powers in play, what is it that you're supposed to do as a Christian to expose that it is evil, at least speak about it? You know, if, 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 if there's a point where, you know, it's life or death, if you don't speak the truth, what is a martyr? Right. What is a martyr? Um, so I think that at least in the freedom movement, the medical freedom movement, um, they've all you know lost their jobs. They are out now completely free to say whatever they want to say about the truth about what they witnessed. And we need more whistleblowers. We need more w- brave people telling the truth about what's really happening. Um, as far as what's coming, um, Dr. Artis does expose something in his recent bombshell, um, Snake is in the Water, I think is what it's called, um, about what may be coming. And the fear is, is that Dr. V- Geert van den Bosch um, and what Dr. Artis is saying are aligned with each other, that when you give a vaccine in the middle of the actual disease process, when the disease is all in the atmosphere and you show the enemy, which is the virus, the weapon, the, the enemy, the virus, um, is able to form new weapons against the weapon used against it. If that, if that was not too convoluted to say. So people who know about uh, deadly staph infections that are called MRSA um, are commonly found in the hospitals because the hospital is where we treat things. So MRSA comes into the hospital and a staph infection comes into the hospital. Well, we give certain antibiotics that we're going to treat it with. Well, whatever of that disease survived on a surface and got um, exposed to a new antibiotic, it becomes familiar with that and it builds a new encasement around it. And the way MRSA stands for is it's multi, it's resistant. It's resistant to all these medicines that used to be once upon a time worked upon it. So similarly, in a similar concept, what Dr. Garrett Vandenbosch postulated based on his extreme knowledge that I don't have, and I'm just regurgitating his words, this is not Michelle's opinion, this is his opinion, that when you put a vaccine out in the midst of a pandemic, what you have done is pressured that virus to evolve in a way it would never have done if it had been left alone to just devolve on its own into a less lethal version of itself. But when you pressure a virus and you put not just not just a military group that we're going to go send somewhere, we're going to just give them the vaccine because they're going to be exposed to something bad. When you have given millions and millions of people and the, and the water systems are now populated with all of this vaccine, the present virus that is in the air still, that's still there, is going to build some kind of resistance up against the treatment and that and um, what they're saying I was just listening to Dr. um, Dr. McCullough on the way here is that within two weeks after the fourth shot in Israel right now because there's a fourth booster in Israel everybody's coming down with COVID it's like this mass COVID outbreak of all these fully vaccinated people so there's failure of the vaccine number one that otherwise what what, why do we vaccinate our kids for the MMR so they would not get measles mumps or rubella (laughs) Right. That's what a vaccine's supposed to right. do is keep you from getting something. You don't that's why calling this thing a vaccine makes no sense because everybody's still getting it. Is everybody gonna still get it? What is coming? If Geert Vandenbosch is um accurate, it's very terrifying what may be coming. Because um it's the vaccinated 
um, you know, how, how much more vaccinated, how much more exposure to the vaccine that you had, how much more risk do you have because you have that in it and this new monster variant could be evolved? Is that what he's implying, that there is a monster variant that's coming out? I don't know if he's accurate or not because right now um, Omicron came out and it's pretty mild. Right. Which looks like it's devolving. And according to some of the doctors who think the vaccine program needs to be stopped immediately, and there's a lot of them that believe it should be stopped immediately, if we would just stop vaccinating everybody right now and just let this thing fizzle on out, that uh, there's treatment, there's there's treatments for people, we can take care of it, there's not going to be a huge population of very high-risk people ending up in the hospitals, the hospitals very likely are not going to be overpopulated, and if they are, it's because there's not enough staff, not because there's not enough beds, because the staff have been fired because of their vaccine choices or something like that, but if we just let this thing devolve, um, this could just go away into possibly something that migrates through the population every couple, you know, every year in a mild way. But because they keep pressuring the virus by keeping on injecting it, and these people, all of us, you know, have waste into the waste system, it's going to recreate itself and do something. So that is the theory that's out there. So could something be coming? You know, I don't know. I don't know if they're, I don't know who's right. I don't know who's right about this. I just know I want all my people that listen to me to get yourself prepared, have what you need for your family at home, know what you're supposed to do when your kids get sick and when you get sick. I think if anything good's coming out of this, at least in the early treatment families of people, people know better now how to take care of their family. They're learning how to do it. Um, some people that recovered from COVID a year ago following the protocol now, when their kids just come down with a basic little respiratory thing, they, they do the same protocol and end up having a really good outcome. So I think that that's a good thing. People are more aware. Well, it, it's just amazing. It, it's, um, you know, the uh, essential oil community, they were kind of, you know, the, these oils have been around for mm -hmm. hundreds of years. And, you know, the whole medicine medicine doctor or whatever that mm -hmm. used to exist yeah. um, prior to modern medicine and Western medicine. There seems to be a si want to silence all that. But yes. I mean, I'm telling you, better than ibuprofen, the peppermint oil really will help your headache in an amazing way. I, I was, I was sitting, um, I, my neighbor uh, and I go to um, church every Thursday and she is the oil queen. She's right? got a, you know, she's like, let me show you what I got here. And, and she knows what works for everything. Absolutely. And I am like, oh, my goodness, does anybody have any headache medicine? She's like, Whoop. she pulls this thing out. I'm sure it was peppermint. And That's funny. it was almost instant. Yeah, we need people like that. We need more people informed about that. And my daughter, who is in nursing school, realizes that the medical, the, the, the programs that all the registered nurses are going through are preparing them for allopathic medicine, um, not homeopathic medicine. So she has a real desire to be well-educated on the functional side of medicine and the oils and the, nu the nutrient-rich and nutrient-dense things that you could choose that we have forgotten to do. She's a big fan of liver, <laughs> liver right now. Yeah. And apparently people in that category are like, you're missing out if you're not doing the liver. So, um, yeah, so thank goodness some of them hopefully that'll be born out of this maybe more people who were part of the freedom movement will create more kids that 
that go that direction and will be our healers because, um, you know, in the conservative communities that we're in, in a homeschool community, you know, there's, there's this split over what females' roles are um, and whether or not they should be educated. And I know that we're not in that circle. We're not there. That's not who we are. We're, we think our girls should be educated. But what I want to always remind people is that there will always be dying, sick, birthing, and, um, you know, broken people in this world. And women birthing babies typically want women that are intelligent about what's going on to help them. And so we need women to feel like every generation must have healers. There must be healers being called up into that generation. And some of the, I mean, I want to think of myself as one because even though I'm a nurse, I'm among the healers in that sense. Um, Doctors are healers in another sense. Surgeons are, chiropractors are. The people who are the oil people are the people who are the homeopathic and what showing us how to get the roots and things like that to make whatever we need to make. They're all among the healers that help us through through that generation, and we need them in every single generation. So hopefully, something positive, hopefully a positive thing is going to be that those inspired kids are going to raise up and be the healers, the better healers of the next generation that say, no, actually don't just run to the doctor and just get a prescription. Right. Right. Well, and I, I think um, Vicki and myself, I mean, we're educators and as homes, the, the three of us here as homeschool um, moms as well, it, it's, we're committed to educating people. Absolutely. We don't want them to be ignorant. We want to, we don't want people that, that verse I make part of my um, platform is for lack of knowledge, my people are perishing. Um, and yes, it's a different kind of perishing that's referenced in the Bible, but literally people are perishing with COVID who don't know there's something they can do and they don't know they can be empowered and they don't know that they're simple things and they're cost effective things and they're easy to get in the home. And some of them aren't, I mean, it's not cheap to buy a nebulizer now. It's not cheap to, um, have to have a, you know, pulse oximeter there are some budget things that are a problem, but for the most part, there is something that can be done and we can help each other and believing that there's people who want to help you. Right. I mean, anybody who has a good teacher feels like they had such a gift, something special in their life. That person taught imparted something to me and it's part of us giving of ourselves to other people. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, my whole goal is to share what I know. And I do know a lot of people who know a lot who don't, for whatever reason, share what they know. That doesn't even comprehend in my mind. I, if I find something that I think is wonderful, I really want everybody to know. I'm like, do you know about this? Do you know about this person, this doctor, this store, this whatever? It, yep. it seems it's just who I am. So um, I can't not be that person. I can't not fight for somebody who is um, if I find out that somebody's a pre- if somebody tells me even their own family members after them, I'm like, okay, here's five things you can do. Send this on to them on text. This will help shut this down. You know, I want to help empower people to say, don't don't be intimidated by the by what looks like we think it's the majority, but I'm not so sure they are. Whoever these oppressors are, I'm not sure they're in the majority. It, it kind of feels like it sometimes, but I'm not sure. I agree. And and they've done a wonderful job at, at keeping us quiet and divided. Um, and divided. Absolutely. Families and friends and neighbors. Um but you know, this is where we just love 
love our neighbors. We love our family. Um, just exude kindness, but yet firm and stay true mm-hmm. to to our stories and to our mission. And um, well, I I think I speak for Vicky. We are just so delighted that you thank you for this opportunity. Thank you very much. You came here, and um, I, I really could talk to you all night um it is night i don't struggle <laughs> I, with um lack of words i i'm sorry um yeah so verbosity is an issue i always try to figure out ways to say things in less words and it doesn't work out very good yeah no <laughs> we we uh we loved every word every syllable oh, and um we will want to have you back yes. at some point we need to have a homeschool um conversation oh, actually that's become a very big part of even my platform people actually ask me for consultations for that because every time something whack keeps happening in the schools i'm like hashtag homeschool yes let i can help you you can do this it's exploding it's exploding yeah they're totally scaring people into the homeschool community and people who would never have wanted to be a part of our community are now like i'm having to homeschool my child well i i would love to just have you know several um podcasts about how to homeschool, um, even if you work full time, and there's so even many if people who could, yeah, you have so many speakers, you know, you have oh. so many people in this community that oh, are just absolutely. rich with knowledge, and so many ways. That, there's so many different ways people can do it. Yes, be single mom, do all of Becca Academy online DVDs. Don't go go sign up for a particular school that's in a local community that's just one day a week. Uh, uh, go to the library and do it for free. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's just people it doesn't just don't have know. to be complicated no, I mean, or expensive. So and I think what it is, um, most of the people that say it to me, and we've, we've all heard it, is people are just afraid that they're not competent. And even though I tell them the, uh, what's the name, National Research Institute stats, is that the average homeschool mom doesn't even have a college degree. Right. That most of them are, and they still score better than the schools right on all their tests well and i always say what does that say about the system that these moms would go through graduate high school and not have enough confidence to even teach a third grader yeah it's like you went through the program and you don't feel confident enough yeah it's not that too i think there's we've actually programmed ourselves to not want to be with our children the, right. the society doesn't really want to be with their children. And I'm not saying they don't love their children. I'm just saying I, I get a lot of people saying, I can't be with my kids all day long. I, I need to get away from I'm glad when they drop See, off at school. See, I loved being with my kids all day long. <coughs> yeah, and everybody's, everybody's cut differently. So some of those people just need to know that there are options for them that if they don't want to be with their right. kids, you can still homeschool. Yes, that is true. <laughs> there are ways to be with them less. And still homeschool them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Because everybody is different. And I don't, I don't, instead of condemning them for feeling like they feel, you know, who knows why. Because all of us aren't equipped the same. And when I say that, I mean, you know, when I um, worked with some people in alcohol rehab trying to help them, when I heard some of their stories, it's just mind-blowing what people never even heard. That nobody ever told them a basic thing that you just take for granted. And that's where there's just no place for pride because it's somebody who you think you want to judge for what they're over there doing that you think is so bad, maybe selling themselves so that they can have their drug. You have no idea that maybe their dad sold them. 
you know, right. that, that you don't even know what their mom wasn't even there. Their mom was a prostitute or their mom was um, whatever. Anything could have been true for their life. They're not prepared. They need us to educate. They need right. people to care and want to actually impart knowledge to them. So Absolutely. Well, well I there's enjoyed the, it. <laughs> there's the topic for next time. Yes. Well, um, thank you so much. Um, all of your information will be in our show notes. So um, anybody listening out there that wants to get a hold of Nurse Michelle, look at those show notes. And thank you. Thank you again. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen. Vicki and I plan to be with you every Monday and Friday with a new episode of Clean Slate. Find us now on Facebook and Instagram at Clean Slate with Vicki and Joanna. Find us soon on our new website, thecleanslatepodcast.com. Until next time, every day is a clean slate.